Hello and welcome to Cat's Got the Cream, a podcast for music lovers and makers featuring the creme de la creme of songwriters from all over the globe with your host, me, Cat Eaton. Today's guest is the wonderful Ellie O'Keefe. Celtic soul singer-songwriter Ellie O'Keefe grew up near Cork. She started singing at 14 with her dad, her two brothers and a sister in the O'Keefe family band. Ellie is one of those honest singer-songwriters who performs music as openly as she chats to you across the table in a pub, pint in hand. She lures you in with her natural down-to-earth stage banter, making you feel like you're on a level. But then suddenly she'll open her mouth and you're completely awestruck when she soars into these blissful high notes. She shared the stage with Irish legends Foy Vance, Mick Flannery and Paul Brady. When Ellie was 19, she left the family band and went to college to study music in Cork City and instantly made her mark on the Cork music scene and released her debut album in 2010. Shortly after, she met producer and musician Joe Hurst, who encouraged her to move to London and to make an EP. A year or so later, Ellie was living in the capital and was touring the London singer-songwriter circuit with her EP entitled You, which caught the ear of an A&R scout from BMG. Ever since then, Ellie has been steadily releasing single after single, all featuring her rich chocolate vocal, complete with Irish lilt. But most recently, Ellie was on ITV's The Voice, on the team of Tom Jones. She's recently been writing with top songwriter teams in Nashville for her next album, and she has very kindly given me permission to play her forthcoming single, This Is Gold. Ellie, welcome to Cat's Got the Cream. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited uh, to be doing this this evening with you, Cat. Oh, thank you, darling. Me too. We've just heard your new single, Gold, and it was gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. What's that song about? And can you tell us about this new record that you're currently working on? Yeah, so I wrote that um, about, I suppose, six years ago now. Um, the hindsight you get, you know, after breakups <laughs> yeah. is a wonderful thing. And I, I guess, yeah, it was it was a very, it was an important song to me that was quite mm. close to my heart. Um, and it was just about appreciating a, a chapter in my life um, and mm. kind of cherishing it and remembering it finally, being able to remember it as gold you know once enough time had passed and I think uh, you know when I wrote the song it was it kind of it it, it flowed very easily and it it felt great to be able to finally speak in a very loving way about that experience you know what I mean that chapter for me fantastic Um, and what can you tell us about the new record that you're working on ah yeah so um Basically, like the the stuff I'm working on at the moment is it's like some of it's new and some of it's stuff I wrote like years ago that I never just kind of finished or produced or anything like that. So um, you're kind of getting a little bit of um, 
a younger, rootsy Ellie O'Keefe and a kind of more mature me, like what you've heard with gold, you know, yeah. um, even though it was like five or six years ago I wrote it. But um, so, yeah, like, I mean, I'm just I'm really enjoying producing some of the tracks at the moment. Um, a lot. There's going to be two track piano tracks um, that are quite uh, lullaby-ish. Definitely one is. One is it's kind of like a Celtic lullaby or something. It's got an unusual song structure to it. It's quite short, you know. There's no, like, big chorus. It's just like a big outro or whatever. But So I think this, this kind of... This kind of record for me is... It's probably the closest uh, record I'll have done that really kind of speaks about my music, I think. Because I have I've wrote the songs all at different kind of points in my life, but mm. they all kind of link in in some way, and I think it's it's almost like you can hear the artist development throughout the songs. I feel that sounds fantastic. I can't wait to hear well, it. I hope, like I mean, I say that. But <laughs> I hope everyone else hears that. You know, <laughs> we'll get there. I'm sure we will. Your debut album, which came out in 2010, I think you said yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and that, like, that captured a moment in time, like, you know, that was this six months writing, did you say? And yeah, that two- was, yeah, like, that was a huge, like, catapult for me, really, into my music career. Like, I met these incredible musicians um, in Ireland, Christian Best, uh, uh, Brian Hassett, Adele Curtin, and I, they were all older than me, you know, but I, they just kind of nurtured me. I, I was kind of discovered, let's say, by a, an engineer in, in Cork called Barra Vernon, and he kind of started like working with me in these recordings and he was like, you know, you really, really should, um, you know, get these guys, they're friends of mine and they're playing with a really um, amazing artist called Mick Flannery at the moment and Mick mm. at the time was probably the biggest artist in Ireland. So that was a big kind of like, that was a massive <laughs> deal for someone like me who'd only written their first song like six months ago, do you know? Wow. Um, yeah, so it it all kind of happened very quickly. The, the musicians I worked with, the, the guys that I just named, like they did a lot of like production with me and almost even like kind of I wouldn't say co-writing but they they definitely had some really like valuable points in the song and pieces of music and stuff so ah yeah that's interesting that kind of makes a bit of sense to me because um the genres on that album kind of are quite eclectic you've got your in my system which is like that funky (laughs) blues almost like a early red hot chili peppers and then you've you've got that so-called friend which is more of a blues rock feel like a white stripe song or something that yeah it's, uh, it's interesting isn't it yeah yeah uh, you know I, <laughs> it's funny. it makes me laugh thinking about it because like I'm I've never really been able to kind of like lock down what kind of genre I am I mean I think as a vocalist I kind of have a have a, a certain sound that's for sure. Yeah. But as a writer, I think I've got a different uh, variety to my voice that if I kind of feel like writing different songs, it ends up that I kind of have a few different sounds. But I think, yeah. I mean, listening to that album, is it is a bit mental. I mean, I wrote a lot of it in, in, in Dead Gad tuning, so there's definitely like a Celtic feel from it. But then mm. there's like, as you said, like that kind of rocky, bluesy vibe to those songs that like mm. I couldn't even tell you half the chords I was playing on some of those songs I didn't even know what I was doing <laughs> do you know it's weird like I don't really know where I got the inspiration to write all that stuff over that four or five month kind of period I think it was just like I'd been playing so long gigging like since I was like 13 14 and I mm. tried to write for so long and I just couldn't find the channel I couldn't channel it and then I moved to Cork 
started college and next thing was like bah you know I just like wrote all these songs it was like a build up over years and years and years or something so I guess it, it is funny like because like I, I suppose I was quite rockier I would say um, mm. and I, I still I still am I think but I suppose I've I've added the piano to my writing in the last five years only so I think ah. that's really mellowed my writing out um, moving on to uh, the voice which you oh, yes. were on this year. Mm-hmm. It must have been amazing to have your family with you when you did the blind auditions and sang River by Leon Bridges. And I read that your dad said, I'll take that feeling to the grave with me. That's so amazing. The whole of Ireland and West London were behind you. Oh. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? You know what, Kat? Like, I didn't realise how much that moment would mean to me to get <laughs> that validation and to get those turns. Like for wow. someone who's worked in the music industry and worked at like amazing musicians throughout my career, I've been so fortunate that like, you know, when I was scouted to come on the show and as a lot of like artists are around London and stuff and I kind of was not really, I, was, I wasn't keen on going for it, but eventually, you know, I, I had a, I had a chat with a couple of different people and I was like, you know, what have I got to lose? It's great exposure, blah, blah, blah. So I think, I didn't really think about what that moment would look like for me until I was actually there. Yeah. And I've like, I've always kind of had a stubbornness to myself as an artist and as a person, I suppose, that I'm always like, you know, I'm not a big person for competition. I always just feel, you know, you just do do what you do best and you'll always shine, you know. And I mean yes. that for, for anybody, you know, I, I mean that in any line of work. It's just, you know, if you can build on your own confidence and grow and all those things. So I'm not a person for competition or anything like that. So, but when I stepped out onto that stage and I was there with my guitar in that studio in front of these four chairs, I've never been more vulnerable in my life. Honestly, wow. it was it was it was a massive moment for me, because as an artist, you know, you you know, you're not defined by your artistry really. Like, I mean, it's a massive mm-hmm. part of me, but there's a whole other side of me as a person. I'm a sensitive, vulnerable, like insecure sometimes. You know, like crazy mm. mental person. <laughs> so, like this sort of experience really, really tested me. And my mom and dad and my sister were at the side and honestly I don't think and we can ever explain what that feeling was like only us four will ever know what that what that meant to us and even talking about it I get a bit emotional because he was such it was just an amazing feeling and the most amazing feeling was the audience it was like I've never Mm. felt an audience scream at me like that it was just like I came out it was this and for me personally, throughout my journey on The Voice, this for me was the the closest I got to being who I was. And it was definitely the best received as well from the public. You know, after mm-hmm. that, things kind of changed. I kind of ended up just being another contestant on the show and get to do what I kind of wanted to do. But whatever, you know, that's just part of that sort of journey, isn't it? But the blind mm-hmm. audition was a really, really special, special moment for me in my career, my self-confidence. Um, and from my parents especially and I think dad you know from being in the family band for like years together playing every weekend him watching me grow up as a young singer and like gigging from such a young age when I was literally like 12 like 13 you know and I mean for him it was just 
I've just never seen him so happy, to be honest. It was amazing. It was amazing. Oh. And my mom, of course, as well. My mom was very nervous for me, though. We, that's because she knows I'm like, you know, like dead. He's got a bit more fire in his belly. He's just like, God, you know, that's why he was just like, you're about to blow up through the roof. Whereas mom was just like, oh, my God. Be all right, oh, you know, she's just man. so concerned for me because I just came out like a little schoolgirl with my guitar again. It was, it was insane, man. It was insane, and like then the support from the Republic mm. of Ireland, all the radio stations in Ireland, the papers. It was, it was unbelievable the support, and it was like I'd never left home. It was like oh. I had just released my album only six months ago, like my first album, you know. Yeah, I definitely felt like you know that that part of the voice journey was the best part for me and oh that's wonderful and just the whole of west london as well was unbelievable like all you know these pubs that i've played in for years that have always supported Mm. me financially and stuff they were just like it was like conor mcgregor was fighting every big screen was down on every pub Was it like to get the recognition from Megan Trainer, who said, "I feel like we're in the presence of a living legend now when we're in the presence of Ellie O'Keefe," well, and she, also compliments yeah. from Shania Twain as well? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty mental. I have to say, it was the battle stage that Megan said that because wow. when me and Sean performed, mm. she turned around and she said, "I fought for you so hard at the, at the blind audition," and she, <laughs> she said, "You should be on my team." She was like, I'm just so sad that you're not working with me. And oh, But they wow. didn't actually show this stuff on TV. They never showed any of her comments, oh. which I found strange. Yeah. Um, That's annoying. Yeah, it was a bit annoying. But like, they can't show everything. And then she mm. said, she she said, I feel like I'll speak. I think I speak for all of us when I say, I feel like we're in the presence of a living legend when we see Elio O'Keefe perform. She's like, we yeah. should be listening to you for the last 20 years. And I was <sighs> just like, I was so head blown. And Will I Am's comments were really amazing as well. Like he was going on about the frequency of my voice that like yeah. every great singer aspires to have that or some I don't know I mean he's 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 cracked anyway like he's quite eccentric <laughs> but you know even though he didn't turn from me he, he yeah. had great respect for me and he said nothing but kind inspirational kind of words to me like he really he really had respect for me I would say and Tom Jones mm. was lovely as well I mean you know you know, Tom's getting on now too, you know, the creation, like yeah. he's, he's a lo- few words. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's a lovely man. And what a singer, like he's an amazing singer. And I mean, the only regret I have is not being able to play one of my own songs yeah. and really show everyone what I, how I shine. And like, I suppose when I was going through the whole process of it, I was trying to be the best contestant I could be. And mm. I was trying to push myself to, you know, I did an amazing vocal coach, um, Waleed Isaacs. He was phenomenal really but mm. he you know he pushed me a lot vocally because I think a lot of the producers on the show saw that maybe I held myself back well yeah. so they might think because I'm with my guitar and I'm a bit folky and I'm a bit understated but just because I can sing doesn't mean that I have to do Beyonce do you know what I mean <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> and I think to be honest I think that's where the confusion happened with me and 
all the people that were trying to get the best out of me. And to be yeah. honest, I think it backfired as well with the public because even though even though I was really proud of my version at the knockout and I didn't get through or whatever, which I was, to be honest, I was relieved about because I was really struggling with my nerve doing those kind of performances in that environment. Mm. But like, I definitely think um, I did myself justice and I did a great version. And I could tell by the audience that like, they were with me as well, you know, but I just, mm. it just kind of felt like what they kind of, I think the producers made me feel like I had to kind of surprise people. And mm. when I, when I did that, it kind of backfired because I don't think anyone needed surprising. They just wanted me to be who I was when I was yeah. in the blind audition. And that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? Like, so. Yeah. What do you think you've learned from that experience? What's the biggest thing you've learned? The biggest thing I've learned is give people what they expect because mm. that's the mistake we made with that. I remember in, in the in the workshop before I was confirmed what song I was doing and I initially wanted to do Forever Young by Bob Dylan or Both Sides Know mm. by Johnny Mitchell and oh, then yeah. they said, oh, we think you'd be great singing Halo and I was like, you couldn't be further <laughs> from what I am actually, what I just asked <laughs> to do, but anyway... But, you know, I was open-minded, so I sang a little bit of everything. And, I mean, I could sing it well, you know, so I just said, I was just like, I'm not sure about it. Like, maybe if I play a guitar. And then I just remember that moment when they said, everyone's going to expect you to come out and sing a Joni song or a Bob Dylan song and smash it. But no one's going to expect you to come out and do a Beyonce song and smash it. Mm. And I trusted that advice, but it was the wrong advice. Because mm. I don't think the public in the studio, I think it, it was the right advice, but not 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 at home to the viewers. So yeah. that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is is I would definitely listen to my gut from now on and just do that as opposed to trying to be a part of the competition or be the best contestant I could be. You know, I should have just kind of I guess stuck to my guns a bit more. You know. Yeah. But I just thought I was doing the right thing. You know. You've been compared to artists like Eva Cassidy and Tracy Chapman. One of your contemporaries who you supported on tour, Paul Brady, yes. said that you are earthy, passionate, <laughs> deep and real in a world of musical confetti. I love that. Musical confetti. I know. I, know. I was so just good. like, wow, did he just, did he just <laughs> send me that back? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> What's like... the best compliment you've ever received? And, and whether it's a, a comment or a comparison to another artist, what's the, the best one you've received? Well, I guess Paul Brady writing that, like I did one support to him in Killarney years ago. His tour manager came out to find me in the audience and invited me down to meet him. And Aww. it was mental. We ended up talking for like about 45 minutes and I'd say we drank about two bottles of wine. It was just an insane <laughs> like moment of energy. We were just like... Blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was about three months before I moved to London, actually. So I was telling him all about this. And when I think back, man, he was so concerned. Wow, I've just actually... Really? I've just remembered that talking to you about it. Wow. I just remember that now, yeah, because he was like... He was like, are you prepared, like, to go to London? And, like, he said, Ellie, it's a beast over there. Like, never mind getting into the music industry. He was like, you're a very pure, natural songwriter. Like, you don't... And I, I didn't understand at the time. I was just like, yeah, no, I'm ready for this move. And I'm like, yeah, two years later, I'm like, my hair's falling out. I'm like, ah! Oh, my God. That's <laughs> but, insane. Yeah, I just remembered that now, that he was... He, he looked concerned for me because I suppose... Yeah, he was just trying to warn me, really, that, like, the industry is so hard and especially moving out 
of Ireland where, you know, I already had this kind of network and nurturing kind of mm-hmm. um, bunch of people around me that would have done anything to help me with my career and stuff. But I suppose because I had been working with this producer in London at the time, I just took the opportunity to move closer to the music industry. And and yeah, so I, I, I just took that leap. And, you know, you have to take chances in life. And I've no regrets about that. But he was amazing to meet. And we had such a great night. He ended up anyway inviting me and my family over to his hotel and we drank into the early hours, I'd say four or five in the morning, the whole lot of us singing songs with Paul and his tour manager. Um, Oh, that's such an amazing experience. (laughs) It's incredible, yeah. Um, (sighs) Yeah, so when I actually moved to London and I was putting little boy and stuff together, he sent me an email and I said, look, I enjoyed so much meeting you a few months ago and I was just like putting this together. Could you just give me a few words on what you you taught when you met me? And that's what he wrote. He didn't say anything else. He wrote that and he said, good luck with the move. And oh. that was it. That was the last time I spoke to him. Um, That's so poignant. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably that, and I would say one of the most inspirational artists and people I've ever had the pleasure and privilege of knowing and even singing with was uh, a guy called Fergus O'Farrell. He mm. was from um, a band called Interference that were originally based in Dublin, but maybe mm-hmm. 35 years ago, I guess. Anyway, long story short, poor Fergus had a, um, he ended up being diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when he was in his late teenage years, I think about, or maybe 15, 16, and he was Mm -hmm. told he wouldn't live for very long, maybe seven or eight years, but he was such an incredible human being, he lived to be a few weeks off his 50th birthday, and I mean, he was just incredible, you know, you, as you can imagine, like he suffered with muscular dystrophy all his life, and you know, his health was just deteriorating all the time, but it never stopped him, man. He became, mm. he was an incredible painter, like like an, an actual artist, like songwriter, mm. singer. Um, yeah, there was just nothing he couldn't do. And <clears throat> I remember I was obsessed with them when I was recording my album because the, to- the guy I, I recorded my album down in Clannacilty with this amazing friend of mine, John Fitz, who's been mm-hmm. like probably the biggest musical mentor to me really throughout my career. So John got me into listening to them and I went to see them a few times and I was just I was just mesmerized by by Fergus like yeah he was just an amazing person to know and I remember when I was living in London and my best friend went to see them play in Cork mm-hmm. and she had texted me and she said Ellie I just finally went to see Interference there and I went up to Fergus after just to let him know that I I was like that I finally came to see them, that Ellie O'Keefe was telling me about them all the time. And and Fergus just turned around and said, he was like, oh, Ellie, she's like the best singer to come out of Ireland. And I, when I heard that, I was just like, Fergus said that about me. I was just Amazing. like, yeah, it was incredible then, yeah. I eventually went down and stayed with him and his, his wife, Lee, amazing, lovely lady. And yeah, we just just spent this night like drinking whiskey and, and oh. uh, playing the piano together and singing together and, talking about life and art and it was it was insane that I think back to that time and think that I actually had that that moment with him because I That's think very lucky people would have mm. killed for that and yeah I just feel really privileged that he had that kind of time for me you know god rest That's... his soul you know I'm sure his energy is flying around in every sort of creative person at the moment the best thing that actually ended up happening in his career was he sang go <laughs> it's funny actually because it, there's actually no that is that is the universe because i'm talking about him now but like 
like he had a famous song called Goal. It's just ha- just so happens to be <laughs> the same title as the song I'm mm-hmm. going to release next. But that's weird now, isn't it? Actually, now yeah. that I say it, because um, my song Goal is completely different to his Goal. But um, he he basically wrote songs for the film months that uh, Glenn Hansard was in, and Glenn was really good friends. With. They were like best friends. Oh, and wow. uh, so they used the song Gold. And so, yeah, it's like played now everywhere all over the world in the Broadways and stuff. Because that was a huge show, wasn't it? Once. Yeah. So, wow, um, that's fantastic. Yeah, that was his, you know, yeah, he's a great guy, great guy. And I love her so. I wouldn't trade her for gold. I'm walking on movies. I was born with a silver spoon Hell, I'm gonna be me I'm gonna be free I'm walking on moonbeams And staring out to sea Tell me about what it was like being in the family band and how that experience informed your solo career. Oh man, the family band were like the best days of my life, really. <laughs> I was only like, what, 11, 12, 12 or 13, I guess, when we started <laughs> uh, talking about this family album we were going to do. So basically, mm. my younger brother was this like exceptional singer for his age, and he's an amazing artist now as well, Dan O'Keefe. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, cat. Like you think I'm a good songwriter? This guy, I'm. I'm not joking. I'm not shitting you. He's he's kind of like a mix between like a <clears throat> Dave Grohl, Radiohead, Jeff Buckley, and Chris Martin. You can hear oh, wow. all those influences in him, even mm. though he's like Celtic kind of rock a little bit like myself. <laughs> it's very <totally> strange. <laughs> Yeah, he's amazing, honestly. Anyway, sorry, I'll stop talking about him now. But um, so anyway, this, you know, we had been, you know, kind of grown up, you know, the old Irish way, like go to mass on a Sunday and into the pub for a few points after. And so Fantastic. We kind of, yeah, we grew up in that environment of singing around the fireside, really like in pubs with like sessions. And but we were like ballad singers, you know, we weren't actual trend mm. musicians, you know. So yeah. then <clears throat> there was a local studio that used to do a lot of, um, we'll say, country and Western uh, recording for like Irish singers now country and western that we know in Ireland is not like country and western to the actual real country no. and western <laughs> so you know it was kind of like a mix between like ballad singing and like waltzing and jiving music and that kind of stuff and um fantastic so they decided to record a family album because we could we could all sing you know and yeah so we just went in spent about three months doing our parts and made the album, had a big launch, and then every pub in the Munster was asking us to play all of a sudden. I was like, I'm playing guitar. My brother Brian was like, I better, all right, okay, I better get a... Dad was like, oh, Jesus, we need a bass guitar. We can't have guitars everywhere. <laughs> I swear <laughs> to God, like, that's actually what happened. Like, so, Oh, that's so organic. It's so oh, nice that you just insane. were like, we've got to have an instrument now, and then I've got to learn that, and blah, blah. Literally, it's like, that, that's what happened. And then... So there was me and my brother, Brian, he was 17 and my dad. And then my younger brother, he was like the star of the show, you know, and my sister could sing as well. Yeah. So that was it for six years. And I mean, Mm. talk about song choice. Like we'd play stuff like me and my brother would play anything from Jeff Buckley to Eva Cassidy to like 
uh, Caledonia to the Fields of Roy to the Killers and I mean my dad used to play the accordion and he'd play in every single one of these songs imagine imagine accordion on like Mr. Brightside like (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not joking you like everyone used to love was like Danny Keefe was like a legend around the place for playing all these tunes in the box like so yeah it was was that for years and I I guess that graft that drive that hunger Mm. for like inspiring like I needed to find inspiration though and I did when I moved away and I think like you know from the age of 14 to like really like 19 I gigged Mm. every weekend with the lads and we just you know got better I suppose singing and playing our instruments and that was kind of it like and I was noticing on the backing vocals arrangements on the the newest stuff it's particularly stay are just so gorgeous you you do (laughs) you just there's usually just one harmony and then you just put in the other harmony. So there's a three-part harmony, like in really specific places, and it's very satisfying. It's not too much. It's not too little. Actually, and I thought maybe fact that was... Yeah, go on. So there's actually two other backing singers on that track. No. One is Brian O'Keefe, my older brother, who was in the family band. Really? <laughs> yeah. And the other one was my friend Carrie, who went to see Fergus that time when he saved oh, about me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that that's coming together so satisfying. It, it's honestly like this whole this whole like interview's been like it's all kind of interlinking with like different things throughout my my career. Yeah. Connections the universe. Oh. Um, yeah, it was yeah, no, I did like I did the kind of main harmony line, but that big section in the middle, like you know, the yeah. the, the the kind of uh, middle eight part and the outro. Yeah, mm. Carrie, Carrie and Brian's vocals are on that as well. It's quite... We were kind of going for that whole gospel vibe, you know, that yeah, big kind of song. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Well, there's no, there's no singing like sibling singing, I think, so... single that's about to come out mm-hmm. um the word beautiful in the chorus is over multiple notes and syllables mm-hmm. and with your ever-present irish accent mm-hmm. how important is it to you to feature these like irish trills and your accent in your songs is that is that intentional or is that just something that just happens naturally that's honestly something i've never even thought about because it's so natural it's yeah. just how it sounds. I don't think about things like that at all. It's just like, is that not how everybody sings beautiful? <laughs> um, I, I remember when I released the album, a lot of people had said, I loved that you didn't change your accent. And I can remember thinking, what are they talking about? How do you mean change Why your would accent? I? Well, I didn't even think I had an accent. <laughs> was the other thing. Like, because it all just sounds normal in my, in my head, you know. So it's just whatever so the way I speak. Like sometimes I write, like I've noticed I write since I maybe started co-writing in the last few years, certain things I write. Like are you, I would very much say like 10 years ago, I'd say, well, my heart. Whereas now I'd say, my heart. It's slightly toned down a bit probably since I've moved to London a bit. Yeah. But I mean, you can clearly hear my accent hasn't changed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We've spoken at, 
great length about mental health issues and specifically during your time on The Voice. Mm. You saw other artists struggling with being in the limelight and you yourself have had a moment when you almost had an out-of-body experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you managed to overcome that struggle? You know what, to be honest, when you asked me earlier on um, what's one thing I've learned about the show, I answered about musically. But there's mm-hmm. one other thing I've taken from the experience and it's I know where, what environment I belong in and where I don't. And I think I really struggled. Like the only reason I managed the bl- the, the blind audition without having like an anxiety attack is because I had my guitar and I was doing yeah. something that I knew in my heart portrayed me like the artist I am you know Mm. when I did the battle it was a long like four days in Manchester of rehearsals and being in a hotel with all these contestants and everyone was lovely but it was very intense and by the time Mm. I actually had to do the performance it was on the Monday and I just had this click in my brain when I did the rehearsal in the morning it's called depersonalization basically where it's very 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 heightened anxiety where mm. I so detached, everything looked so unfamiliar to me, like the the lights, the cameras, like the big red, like intimidating chairs, like the art, like yeah. it freaked me out. Like I mean, I got through the performance, but like it was like I was somebody else. It was like I was just like I had my heart was about to jump out of my mouth, but I ended up mm. getting through the rehearsal okay. But when I came out into the green room, I had a big anxiety attack and God love poor Sean the guy I was singing with he was such a sweetheart he helped calm me down and I was I was in a bad way like I actually thought I was going to run out of the building I was like oh, I can't dear. do this and a couple of the producers came over to me and they were like you okay and I was like I just I felt sick I didn't know if I was going to cry I I just, mm. fe- I just I felt like a frightened animal I just felt the whole experience I'm a very hearty sort of person, very earthy person. And mm. I think being in, in an environment that was unfamiliar for that amount of time and then having yeah. to do this massive amount of pressurizing performance sent me over the edge. Once I had the anxiety attack, I came down and rang my, my boyfriend, Pat. He knew exactly what to say to me. It's stuff he's, he's, he's suffered with in the past. He said his own experiences of it mm. and overcome it. And he just knew what to say to me. And I what just, did he say? He just said, Ellie, whatever happens today, you will be at home with me this evening. We'll be having dinner and you'll be in school tomorrow. And oh, I just brought you back down to Literally. Live. Once I heard that, I was like, OK, OK, I, uh, people do actually know me and I'm not like going absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really it was really scary. I won't lie like you. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Even talk about it, no, my heart rate's going up. But oh, yeah, let's stop talking about it. <laughs> well, no, no, it's just because it was it was traumatizing. It was yeah. it was absolutely traumatizing, and not alone to have to go through that, but to have to focus your mind and then going out and doing that mm. level of performance. I didn't know oh. what was going on. I might as well have been <laughs> asleep or hypnotized. It's just like <laughs> so. Like once I done the performance. I remember Emma Willis, how was that? And I was like, I'm so happy that's over. And I remember all the, all, all the producers were like, remember, be positive. Be... And I was just like, get me out of here. <laughs> but um, yeah. I so... guess there's something that's quite um, manufactured, isn't there, about these programs. And Massively. It's, and it's quite it's hard TV, for like... an artist like, like yourself to feel at home when it's so not normal you know Absolutely. you shouldn't really be like competing against your, your peers and people you respect it's really it's really tough is there Absolutely. any ad, yeah. is there any advice that you would give 
somebody that was interested in you know applying for a britain's got talent or x factor or someone that's been scouted for the voice would you give them any advice about what it's like in terms of how it can have an effect on your mental health um i guess the advice i would give is artistically to the people who are going on it to really be like as an artist stick to yourself and be as confident as you can and be, yeah. be stubborn with what you're doing in terms of someone who's gone on it be a pop artist or like really getting into the music industry and looking for that kind of fame, let's say, I would mm. say just be kind and, and be open with other people and just do your best really like and work hard, you know, but generally like I think the experience is different for everyone. So it's hard. It's hard to give advice on that, I would say. Back in 2015, you were speaking to BMG about getting a publishing deal. You took a couple of years off songwriting and started teaching, and you're still teaching to this day, as well as recording, and you're writing still, and you've obviously been on The Voice, and you're still gigging. Yeah. How important, how important was it for you to take that time out to reflect? Well, I guess when I first moved to London, I'd worked so hard, like, for that kind of year and a half, and when I was kind of picked up by BMG, it was, I mean, it was a great experience, but it was, it was probably my first experience of real pressurized co-writing. It was like, literally, yeah. I'd go, I'd be sent somewhere and I'd write in a day and a half this song that was meant to be for like Radio 1, which again was very much out of my comfort zone. But I mm. managed in a great way, I think, and I learned a lot and I delivered a lot of good songs, I think. Yeah. But I think artistically within the industry, I confused a lot of people and I think you know, it all kind of fizzled out after maybe eight months or so. And mm. I'd worked so hard to try and find my compromise with the industry that I just think I ended up confusing what I was as an artist and the known sign main. I got really angry and bitter about that, to be honest. I was kind of heartbroken for a while. Understandably um, frustrating, though. Yeah, yeah. Especially because I had moved as well. And mm. this was like on my third year and I'd worked and I'd slogged. I'd, I'd kind of sacrificed so much for this, you know. I'd yeah. left my amazing network of people in Cork to kind of come here to grind it out in London. And then I'd been picked up and then I'd done everything they asked me to do. And, yeah. and it just didn't happen. I'm just like, all right, well, thanks for chewing me up and spitting me back out. But that's OK. <laughs> um, but again, as I keep saying, hindsight's a great thing because I realise no man, if they had signed me, God only knows where I'd be right now. And I yeah. think I needed to go through that to really figure out what I wanted to do as an artist. And once all that kind of stopped I was offered this job in a lovely lovely primary school in West London and mm. I was just like what I don't know like I've kind of no experience in this and I don't even have a, a teacher's degree you know but mm. this head teacher was just she's amazing she just saw something in me I guess maybe the passion and she gave me the job and after four weeks I had a permanent contract so I've been teaching amazing reception kids to year six for the last four years I worked wow. very hard for a year. I was there for like 11, 12 hours a day, like grinding out, like building like lesson plans. And then the second year did more work. But like, you know, every year got easier and I absolutely mm. loved it. And it gave me really good confidence. And I think, I think that's what the time out did for me, Cash, to be honest. Yeah. I think I needed that personal development and the confidence in myself to realize that I'm good at something else, that like being an artist and being a songwriter doesn't actually have to define me 100% and it doesn't have to be all of my heart like I just put into with BMG and moving to London. I'd learned mm. a lot about myself as a teacher and that I could actually have both, you know, and I could be happy and be an artist and I could basically essentially do anything I wanted as long as I 
gave myself no limits and stopped having expectations and really understood the music industry for what it was. So I think that time was absolutely so valuable to me. Um, I wanted to ask you about your songwriting technique. Hmm. So I really love the way that Stay starts seemingly like it's in the middle of a personal conversation. Let me hear your heart once more. It's Hmm. really immediate and it grabs your attention. And it's interesting it's written in the present tense and you quite often I'm having listened to your entire back catalogue yeah (laughs) you quite often write in the present tense and if you're not writing in the present tense you're looking back on the past so you'll be saying that was wonderful then and now here I am and and you have a lot of imagery and I can imagine what I can imagine I'm in the room with you as you're writing it so how important is um, tense to you when you're writing you know what? I've never even realised that. That's actually kind of blown my head away there a little bit. You, I think you know more about my song than you do. I do. I doubt it. Um, I doubt it. That's mental. Um, do you know what? I guess. I guess. It. It. The question answers itself. Actually, the, mm. the technique is. I'm the sort of songwriter that like. I need to feel, I need to be like, if I'm writing, no, that one particularly was actually co-written with Joe Hurst and Johnny Dunn, right? But I remember it was my first writing session and I Ah. had literally just come out of a horrendous breakup and Mm. I remember Joe telling me, be direct, tell me what's in your head when you're thinking about Mm. that. And I remember saying that line, I was like, that's how I feel. And that's how we started the song. So even though it was kind of like a past tense, it was still present tense because I was still going through all that stuff. And I I guess when I'm writing lyrics, I do tend to write about the literally exactly what I'm feeling. It comes down on paper. And actually, sometimes mm. there's been a problem because sometimes I might contradict myself in the songs. I might have said it, you've been and I've been and here we are, but there you were. And I remember that was something <laughs> I actually had to kind of look at in my writing because sometimes I would just be feeling shit so much that it doesn't actually make sense <laughs> like, you yeah. know? so that's really interesting that you've pointed that out because that, that it is something that I I guess when I'm writing by myself definitely when I'm writing by myself it's mm. like if you listen to the song you like you can almost hear where I was I, I remember yeah. perfectly where I was writing it and what I was about and the actual intention it was exactly exactly how I felt at that moment I feel Mm. quite conscious that sometimes because maybe I write in a very, very present way that when I'm performing them again, people really feel like they're there with me going through that experience. And I can Mm. get a bit conscious of that. And sometimes I I become a bit of a comedian in between my songs. I'm like, because I'm like (laughs) taking the piss out of myself. And then I'm like, I think like you need a bit of maturity, I guess, to kind of be able to handle that level of emotion and I don't That's think I true. had that. I don't think I had that when I even wrote these songs. So it used, wow. to, it used to drain me more when I'd perform them, you know. But now yeah. when I play them, I kind of sit with them a you know, bit better, actually. I was going to just ask you about the production and uh, of uh, of the, the last few records that are... So your last EP and also yeah. Gold. Um, the strings on Run Why You Can are so beautifully arranged. Oh, and I love the way that you and stay both start 
with one instrument panned slightly over to the one side. Yeah. It feels really intimate and unassuming. And it's like got that DIY quality that's really endearing. If I close my eyes, I can imagine I'm in your front room and you're wow. sitting in the corner playing. And then the, the eventually the instrumentation grows and layer on layer until it's really epic. Can you tell me about how production plays a part in your writing? Well, I wrote you and then... I had showed it to Joe a few months previously, so it's beautiful signs. I think it maybe needs a little bit more here in the bridge part. So we kind of knocked out a part and went straight to the bridge and the bridge then became the chorus and then we kind of wrote mm. middle eight into it. But then, like, I think Joe always wanted me to have the most live sounding feel possible because that's where I excel, I think. We actually recorded you live in the studio. So everything was live except for the strings. Ooh. It was the most amazing feeling. I'll never forget the intensity of it and that achieving it. It was it was amazing. And if you listen back to that track, No Cash, and yeah. just remember that, you'll be like, you were just going to be in it with us. I'm telling you, oh, you will. Even more and emotional. It is, it is. <laughs> yeah, so I think Joe's production was always just the boat getting a live rootsy kind of sound for me nice. i think he always saw me as like a female Rayla montaigne and that kind of live oh, like what's the kind of you know earthy kind of guitar sound and you know that mm. kind of real acoustic acoustic earthiness you know yeah. rootsiness live feeling to the recordings and i yeah, guess there doesn't seem to be any synths or anything that's like yeah digitally no. No, it's yeah. quite organic, I would say, especially mm. you. I think you is one of the most organic tracks I've ever heard, especially because yeah. it's live as well. You see, that's the thing. It's like you, you can feel all that with it. And yeah, I think the way sure. we organise str- or um, arrange the strings around it made, you know, the swells and it's like, yeah, I'm really proud of that track, actually. Mm. I think it sounds, it sounds exactly how it was meant to sound. noticed that um whenever you're writing your songs seem to start off like i was saying earlier uh, with this conversational kind of relatable lyric Mm. and then you hit home in the chorus with a poignant phrase that you repeat so like in gold you've got there's only you and i who know how our story goes and then the chorus ends with i'm sure you know what we had it was gold and then the same with run while you can it's been too long since i've seen you smile and then you hit home with the let me be your freedom which is just these these lines are just so heart-wrenching and then when you repeat them each time that that phrase takes on more meaning Mm. until you're in a puddle of tears on the floor. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. Is this something, (laughs) is this something that you're aware of doing? Um, No, this is when I go, this is, it it wasn't because this is, this is the writing that Joe and Johnny helped me 
mm. uh, complete, really. Like, I would have never been able to, like, those songs were written about that painful time I was going through. I was going through a really mm. hard time. And God, like, you know, I just, my heart was in the songs, but they helped me create exactly what you're talking about. Mm. Getting the point across about how heartbroken I actually was. <laughs> and I mean, I think that's what was really incredible about that chapter in my life because yeah. I would be forever grateful for meeting Joe and getting to work with him at that closely as a songwriter because really he took care of me as an artist as well, you know. Mm. He, he really did. And and I think I was, I was, you know, even though I didn't have a lot of experience and I wasn't really sure about what I was doing, he helped me capture that pain and heartbreak and turn it into something beautiful and get mm. the best out of it lyrically. He really did. And a lot of it came from literally like what you said, just sitting down, him asking me how I felt. This is mm. what I said. This is what he said. And this is how <laughs> I feel and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And that's how those songs actually came together. Um, a lot of people think with writing that there's some sort of magic formula, but actually just literally sitting down, talking about yeah. what you want and what you're talking, you know, your problems in your yeah. life. Yeah, it, it, yeah. That can be as simple as that to get out a great lyric and to start you on a <clears> journey to finishing a song I find myself when I'm writing now I'm just like let the song be what it is I don't want to like naturally go and find the middle east just because it has to I'm like I'm not feeling it man like yeah. I think I've hit the point that I want to make in the song in the first chorus so you can all feck off now and grant <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that that's perfect so do you know what I mean like I, I've kind yeah, of I totally get it I've become kind of I wouldn't say lazy it's not a lazy thing I no, think I've it's just not lazy I just think you know, I've kind of had a different experience of writing my album and writing with Joe and Johnny and having these mm. big emotional songs. And I can clearly write a big emotional song myself too. But I think mm. lately I've just been writing these kind of short, kind of shorter, like maybe three minute songs, two and a half minutes even, like just mm. being like kind of repetitive, but like making sure that the chorus hits. Like I wrote a song there now during the week and it's quite, you know, do you listen to Fink? No, I haven't. Great no. artist. He's a guy from Bristol. Okay. It's a bit like he's, it's kind of like indie kind of acoustic rock. Um, mm, okay. And it's like, yeah, like I, I just felt that vibe. Like it's really kind of weird kind of chords. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting where my head is at lately with the writing. So we know, we kind of know who influences you as a singer, but who inspires you as a writer? Um, definitely Johnny Mitchell, Tom Waits, yeah. uh, the band really like a couple of their songs. Yeah. Uh, I suppose like, I can't deny like the D- Damien Rice was a massive influence of me when I was a teenager. Mm. Uh, some great albums there, acoustic albums by him and the likes of Paul Brady. <clears throat> like in recent years, like Bon Iver has been, oh my God, I just cried through his old gig when I would see him. He's the most incredible, oh my God, amazing altogether. <laughs> Yeah, and Ray LaMontagne, sure. huge influence. Yeah. Um, mm. Nick Drake, but I don't write very much like Nick Drake. But there's, I think eventually I might hit some depth as close to him. Like he was, mm. he was another level really of of heartache. Really, you know, really painful music, but uh, yeah. also very healing in ways. Um, 
I think, mm. like, growing up, like, as a vocalist, I, it was definitely, like, Eva Cassidy and Shania Twain, who I met, really, when I was yeah. a kid. Like, they were my big vocal influences. And Jeff Buckley, then I was about 13 when I heard him, and he was a big influence, and Sarah McLachlan. But then, yeah. like, I kind of really started getting into different kind of bands, like Radiohead, um, when I was, what, maybe 16, 15. Yeah. And that really influenced me. And Foo Fighters and Coldplay. God, yeah. Five yeah, bands, man. all those kind of artists. So it's quite yeah. different, actually. Like, I mean, I listen to a lot of different kind of variations of music, to be honest. You just mentioning um, Foy Vance, you mm. met him, didn't you? Tell us a I bit did, about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a funny story. So, a friend of mine here from West London is a massive fan of his. And basically, from going to his gigs for years and years, he's kind of befriended him. And Every year Foy does a gig over in Greenwich. Um, it's a charity Christmas gig. So my nice. friend Adie, Adie Kramer, invited me to this. And I went in a way and I sang a song with him. And he was lovely. I mean, I was really nervous, actually, because I was a big fan of his. And mm. he was really, really nice. I went out and I had a cigarette or whatever. And he came out and we just met. And we were just talking about music. And I was telling him that I, this was before I was on The Voice and stuff. And I was just saying, you know, I was like, I'm just such a big fan of yours. I just love your career, the way you've kind of managed it. And and he said, it's a tough graft. And I was like, I know, I've been, I've been doing it myself for like 14, 15 years now. And, and he was like, but that's what's really important for artists like us is that you just keep building on your audience. He said, because that's essentially what makes it brilliant for you. And I thought that was really amazing mm. to hear, you know. Um, yeah. As much as a struggle it can be at times... It's about the people who connect with it that make it so worth it in the end, man. When you Absolutely. have those moments of writing those songs, painful or not, like, you know, you're never alone when there's people that connect with, with it. Like, you know, I think that's really important mm. for me anyway, it is. Your vocal range is exceptional. Oh, cheekers. There's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> My head's going to be the size look. of a house by the time I finish this interview. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this lovely gravelly tone at the low end of your range and then you soar up into this rock chick, crisp Janice kind of resonant tone at the top <laughs> end. It's fantastic. And you quite often start songs with your low range and then you finish up rocking up to the top, you know, for the last couple of choruses. So there feels like a tangible arc to your songs, like creating a soundscape that I personally find very satisfying <laughs> but what an artist inspire you to sing in this particular way this soaring and then kind of like this more intimate gravelly tone yeah i think uh probably like i think to be honest i think that biggest influence is eva cassidy because yeah even though she never wrote songs she covered music like they were her own and they were always live <gasps> performances as well like mm. live, like intimate settings where you you know you just you were on it, hanging on every single word she said, and then mm. it was just like wow, going for the end, you know, it's like big soaring, like massive, like angelic notes. And I think my go-to as a writer kind of follows what I do with my voice as well, you know. Yeah. And I think she's the only one that I can remember feeling that way, like really just being like I couldn't even concentrate when I heard her sing. I was just like. Who is that? What is that? Like, that's how much she affected me. Like, she resonated yeah. so deeply. Like, and I think probably it's hard because you, you can be influenced in so many different ways. But vocally, I know you're going to laugh at this, but you know who I think was a massive vocal influence? And I loved him as a kid, like a really young kid, 
was Brian Adams, actually. I just oh, thought, I'm not laughing at that. Yeah, like, Mm-mm. I just thought his voice was incredible. It was so musical. It had that God, gravel, yeah. and he was belting at the end of his songs. And I think a mix between that and the show, he was... I just loved, like, a lot of big belting singers like Celine Dion and Shania Twain and, you know, yeah. from a very young age. And I think that's where that kind of comes from. If you were to pick one song from an artist that could be a soundtrack to a particular moment in time where you felt like you were having to make a risky decision or um, something hard happened and, and you had to change your situation, you know, what, what song would that be and why? Interesting, I suppose, I'm thinking of a song that was when I was in that place, I suppose. And I can remember feeling very, very closely connected with Pink Moon by Nick Drake. That album, or all his music, all that Mm. kind of, that, uh, what's the word, that frequency, whatever that is in the world, that frequency of music that he wrote... (laughs) Saved yeah. like my life, I would say, when I first oh. moved to London. So I written on a side say Pink Moon is on his way. None of you stand so tall. Pink Moon, and I get you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh my for God, Sally. thank That's you. So like, lovely, Cash. I am absolutely privileged to speak to you. Honestly, I'm. Oh, I'm having a great time here, like indulging in all this songwriting talk. I'm like, I don't even know what I talk about half the time, but I try. I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm, you do. I'm, I'm as honest as I am, anyway. So that's it's. <laughs> well, it's an, it's interesting because your songwriting and your singing has come from a very just honest place and it's so innate isn't it so it's hard sometimes to be able to decipher what was um what was learnt and what just happened you know exactly but i think exactly because you started so early Mm. you were just a sponge just grabbing it all up and letting it all come out as soon as as soon as you had the possible moment to start writing you wrote so efficiently within yeah. such a small amount of time when, yeah. you, when you were 19 it's true, so actually. it's uh, it's um it's really interesting to to talk to you about to kind of like to try and break it apart and try and work out exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it mm. because I think there's some stuff that um is gonna go unnoticed from your from yourself and from other listeners because it's just something that's happening so innately well Thank you so much for coming on the show, oh, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. I've really enjoyed it. And you know what? It's yes. it's done me the world of good for my confidence to finish these tracks speaking to you. So I really, oh. really just want to say thanks for giving me the time to kind of express myself as an artist. So thank you. Oh, pleasure. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you so much. And good luck with the album and thank good you. luck with the single as well. Thanks We're going to so hear more about that as soon as it comes out. And I'm very excited. Is there a particular place that we can find you on the internet? Uh, it's just Spotify. There's a few different places. Actually, I'm, I'm working mm-hmm. on getting my little web page together. So Spotify, YouTube and my old album is on Bandcamp. So that's the okay. only place you can get that, actually. Oh, well, uh, lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you soon. Oh, amazing. Thanks, Cash. Thank you so much. Bye, lovely. Pleasure. Bye, bye, bye. Paint your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day We 
with eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills If you want to find out more about Ellie, head to her Instagram or her Facebook at Ellie O'Keefe Music. And if you want to find out more about me, head to my website at cateaton.com. Don't forget to subscribe or rate this podcast and tune in next week to hear another singer-songwriter talking about their craft. Thanks for listening. What you tried to say to me How you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now